Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Tomboy is over. We hear you're a girl. We're going to check that. That might be the grossest line in the movie. Andy, we're doing Tomboy. We are. It's another in our in our series of celebrating movies that are exactly 10 years old this year. Exactly. Uh, it's French. It's a French movie. I like the French movies. That was fun. I like, I like listening to kids. How would you how would you say that the last name Celine is it in French? Is that Siyama or Skiyama? That's actually a great question. I don't I don't know. I don't know how to without hearing it, because there are there are so many different influences in names like that. Like it could it could be either one. Hold on, I'm going to Forvo. Okay. All right, stand by. We've got a Forvo. Celine Siama. It's it's how to Siama. Celine Siama. It's it's how to pronounce it in French specifically. Yeah. Celine Siama. But I think if it's I don't know, somebody should tell me. But I think if you move west, like to the Basque influence, how would you pronounce it if it were Spanish? Would it still be Siama or would it be Skiama? Well, it would be uh, Celine. Because there's an accent on that first yep. e, Celine, and then you'd, uh, yeah, you'd say skiam, skiama. Do you see what I'm saying? Like if if it is, yeah, but it's not, it's not uh, Spanish. Though. No, but the Basque influence is essentially inserting Spanish, uh, a lot of Spanish into French, and so if you move to the to Western France, it's it is essentially French with a Spanish accent. Interesting. Well, I don't know enough about uh, where Celine is from, but let me look and I'll tell you she was born in Pontois, P-O-N-T-O-I-S-E, or is that Pontois? Pontois. Pontois? Is it like Boise? Pontois? Pontois, France? It is the northwestern part of France. It could it could be. I'd have to hear her say her name. That would be interesting. She was raised in Kurgi Pontois. <laughs> I should not be allowed to speak French. Sergi Pontois? Is that better? Did I say it right? I I don't know. Sergi Pontoise. Sergi Pontoise. I think oui. I think that's what I, what I would do. Arrondissement de Pontoise. Uh, but I, I don't know. It doesn't say anything about. She she speaks fluent Basque. <laughs> well, it, oh my gosh, you're impossible right now. In a Basque accent, I know. I know. Uh, anyway, no, this would be this would not be. I think this would be uh, she because Pontoise is outside of Paris, so she's it, it's it's got to be Siama, not Skiama. That's I think that's where we're gonna land. Mystery solved. We know this is why everybody came to the show. Yeah. How do you pronounce this director's name? I'm going to go with Siama. Celine Siama. Uh, the movie actually is uh, nine years old 
in the United States. It opened in June of 2012. We really screwed ourselves. Well, okay, so here's a question for you. So when were you first in France? What year? Oh, my God. Uh, it would have been 19. I was there 1989-90. Okay. Somewhere in there, it's uh, the last. It's in the late eighties. So, would you say? Would you say that that you're however old you are, but you're only thirty seven in French or in France? <laughs> right. right. You know what? Maybe now that you've mentioned that, now I do. Maybe I changed my entire worldview on age and population. Honestly, it's a great way to to re age yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I was released okay. in Australia, when, when you were released re- in Australia, yeah, right. I, that's not going to help me out at all. <laughs> when I was released in, uh, let's say, uh, when you were first, when you were first released in Brazil, yeah, right. All so right. So be, can we talk about 35. this movie, please? Yes. yes Why I don't, don't you want to talk about Tomboy? Did you not just not like it? Is that our <laughs> prediction? You hated this movie, and all you want to talk about is like time zones and birth You're the zones? one who was going into this thing about how old the movie was. I was just trying to figure out like where you're coming at. You're the one who had to go look at a pronunciation guide for her last name, lest we forget where the distraction began, sir. All right. It is one of those days, I guess. All right. So anyway, Celine Siama and her film Tomboy, which is nine-ish, ten-ish. <laughs> yeah, it is a, a movie about kids and about uh, one kid in particular who is uh, exploring what it means to be gender non-conforming. And uh, it is a, it's fascinating to watch sort of culture catch up with a discussion that was already taking place in film uh, years ago. And that is, uh, I, um, I think that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do, and it's and there it's full of some, uh, some really. Well, I, I don't want to spoil it, my opinion of it, because we haven't done my favorite part of the show, where you tell me what I thought of this movie. I think that you really found a lot of strength in the in the story because the child performances were so authentic, and that you, uh, while not an overly engrossing film felt that it was honest and ended up enjoying it. Okay. Okay. That's something. It is uh, something. I'll, I'll take that. Um, I think that you thought that the film was equally full of particularly the protagonist's really strong uh, performance. And I think uh, that you felt that it's a very strong child performance at the heart of this film and that it's very touching. And that I think that you watch right, this film Mr. as I'm you and I will be talking about it soon on the next Real <laughs> Film Podcast. And that you'd like to encourage other people to learn more about the show and subscribe where you get your podcasts. This this is Pete last week. I do everything I can to avoid looking at your letterbox reviews. Yep. Not today. You, you sniped me. <laughs> it snuck into my feed and I just I glanced at it and I saw it. So oh, uh, I was totally spoiled as to your opinion. And we'll see what I think in a moment. Tomboy was not re- rated upon its release here in the U.S., but it does have mild sex and nudity, nudity as the film does revolve around uh, issues of gender identity and how it's perceived by peers and parents. There is uh, a scene of children in a bath and getting out of the bath. Uh, granted, they're very young, undeveloped children, but still, that is in there. Um, there is uh, some kids fighting and beating each other up 
And I guess that's about it. Can you think of anything else that no, mom, mom that was... slaps her kid? Yeah, there's this, there's a child slapper, uh, child slappage. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it's otherwise it's it's fairly tame. And you know, kids talk about eating boogers, tasting pee, kissing each other, things like that. But, All the but things they do it that in French. Do. So but they do fine. it in French. So it it actually feels very Exotic. elegant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Oh, and and a father lets his daughter drive and drink beer. <laughs> And drink beer and cheat at cards. There's no way she didn't see his hand. (laughs) Do you want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, if you see an Apple or an Amazon link to it in our show notes, you just click on it and that will take you right to their site where you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, they actually give us a little tiny piece in return. It's very nice of them. Very kind of, of these big corporations to help the little guy out, you know? <laughs> yeah, so generous. So generous. <laughs> uh, we are up in our game in the merch store, uh, although we're a little bit behind now, Andy. we got to get on that. I know. I'm very curious what, what the shirt is going to be for this. Does it involve clay? Does it involve molding clay at all? I hope it does not involve molding clay. <laughs> I really hope I guess, that that is not I guess what the we'll shirt see. involves. Shrug. Oh uh, anyway, head over to truestory.fm slash TNR merch. You can get the shirts. Some of our uh, great short uh, short shirts Our shirts from our horror film. You can put logos, horror film. You know what? The black mold relic window would be Ooh. great on a pillow. You put your face down next to it. Make you feel like you live there. TrueStory.fm slash TNR merch. Yeah. Experience the black mold without having to experience black mold. <laughs> there you go. We want to feature reviews from you. Send us your 30-second audio file to reviews at TrueStory.fm as soon as you watch the film, and we just might put you on the show. Get them in quick. We record early, so the sooner you get your clip in, the more likely it'll end up in the podcast. Again, that's reviews at TrueStory.fm. And if you want to find out what we're talking about in uh, upcoming series, head over to our letterbox page, letterbox.com slash the next reel, and you'll see a watch list of, of all the movies that we're talking about this season. And uh, if you're a huge fan of Letterboxd and you keep your movie diary over there, just head, visit the next reel.com slash letterboxd, and that will take you to the upgrade page over on Letterboxd, where you can upgrade your free account to pro or patron for 20% off. And that does count for renewals. I just love Letterboxd. I know, me too. Such good people. What are the big questions, Andy? All right, so, Tomboy. Ten years old, this film is. How does it hold up? And is does it feel relevant more so, less so, or about the same as it did 10 years ago? More so. More, more so, so, indeed. Are you kidding? 
Don't you think? I mean, this is uh, a movie 100%. that I think caught up with the with the cultural conversation that's been needing to happen for a long time. And I think at any other time, you make this movie in 20 years, it probably will be pretty boring. Uh, and I know there are people who watch this movie and don't find it all that uh, uh, all that entertaining to watch now. Uh, but I I found myself spoiler. I really enjoyed my time with this movie. Um, uh, first and foremost, the child performances were fantastic. This movie hinges on those two kids uh, on you know, Mikhail Lohr in particular, but the relationship between Jean and Mikhail Lohr uh, was uh, just wonderful. And I think right now the discussion of fluidity and what fluidity, how to define fluidity in all of its forms around sex and gender, around, um, you know, any sort of spectrum disorder spectrum, uh, the neurodivergent spectrum, I think this movie becomes a a strong uh, case for the early experience of that and where some of those pitfalls are. And as a parent, I found it um, I found it really touching, gripping. There is so much of it that I think feels to me like a Jordan Peele movie, like the, it's a it's sort of a social horror. I found myself really on the edge of my seat around when she was going to be discovered where her her sort of biological sex was going to be discovered by her peers and uh I was man I was just like riveted by that I thought that was an, an incredible way to play up tension uh in the film and I I thought it was I thought it was really expertly sort of woven story especially because the way that it the way that that happened you know with you know when uh Mikhail brings Jean out to play and just because of that one thing there's that one boy who uh, who pushes her down and so um, Mikhail beats the boy up and uh, then the boys and the boy's mom drags the boy to get an apology and to talk to uh, Michael Mikhail's mom and um, that lets mom in on this whole thing and then she does this whole thing where she's like you're going to put a dress on and we're going to go talk to everybody and straighten all this out and at first i was just horrified that mom was doing this and i'm like oh she is just the worst but then she had that conversation uh with laura laura and and was just like i this is what did she i wrote it down because i was really touched actually yeah. by what she said she said i'm not doing this to hurt you or to teach you a lesson i have to understand i don't mind you playing the boy it doesn't even make me sad but this can't go on you got an idea because uh, if you do please say so i can't think of any have you got a solution yeah because as a parent you i ask you sir would you do anything different like would you know what to do either in in that scenario Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's um, I, that's just a, a terrifying thing to have to go through. But, yeah, it can't go on. It's just like everyone's going to have to find out sooner or later. School's about to start. Lisa already was looking for you in class on the class roster and you're not there because your name's not really Michael. It's just like the way the setup worked um, was just so strong. And then to have that moment there with that kind of that awful awful uh, kind of climax of the film when uh the truth has to come out and everybody has to find out and it just it hurt and you could feel it but it also deal it speaks to the conflict that Laura was having in that she didn't know how to 
deal with this, um, you know, this sense that she had of like, I feel different maybe or something You're like trying to figure out what that meant. And I, I'm certain that there was probably an incredibly freeing element to being in a new place. No one knew who she was. She already kind of looked like a, I mean, she was a tomboy. She had short hair. She dressed like a boy. And so she was in this place where she was able to actually pull it off. And what I found so interesting about the way the film starts is we're introduced to Michael <laughs> at the start of the film. And it's not until the bath when she gets out of the bath that you go, oh, she's actually a girl. Like it was that, I mean, I had seen the trailer. I already knew what the premise was, but if I hadn't, it would have been like watching, uh, what's the, the crying game or something and having that surprise moment where like, oh, there's something that I wasn't expecting here. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I had not, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I watched the trailer when we picked all these movies, but I went in with a, a pretty clean memory. I didn't remember what we, what we were talking about. It was a long time ago. And so to me, it was that kind of, uh, like I, I felt like I saw it coming. Like I knew that there is, there's going to be some, something here that deals with this kid. There's no way you put a kid whose face is so easily adaptable across stereotypical norms of gender that if you, if you want to see a little boy, you're going to see a little boy. If you want to see a little girl, you're going to see a little girl in the frame uh, with Lauren Michel. And depending on, you know, what they're wearing, uh, is is really dependent on i think what you're what you're going to see in this child those eyes are so piercing i just i i kind of knew it was coming even though i didn't know it i did there is a horror story unfolding in front of me um and that reveal sets in motion so many assumptions for me like is is this going to be um uh, the equivalent of a my girl kind of experience where there's so much trouble and then eventually somebody's going to die. Like, is that going to really try to rip my heart out or is it going to rip my heart out in the way kind of that it did, right? That, that these kids were confused and didn't understand. And you have lines like you kissed a girl. And if she's a girl, that's disgusting that just are absolutely heartbreaking. And I think representative of even just 10 short years ago, I wonder if this movie was made at the same time, if it was made now, um, if if it there wouldn't be an assumption that kids would be like, oh, all right, so what? Like, here's a thing that kids have moved on from caring about. Of course, it. I mean, I think, you know, microcultures are what they are. But, but uh, you know, I think this movie is an interesting barometer of the change that we're seeing. So I thought that reveal of the biological gender was really important to setting up the tension, the sort of social tension that comes for the last, you know, three quarters of the movie. And it was it was really, really well done. What also I thought was just so touching about it. I mean, the child performances across the board Ugh. all felt 100 percent authentic. And I, I was just under the impression that uh, Siyama must have uh, just allow the kids to just do kid stuff because it just felt like everything they were doing just seemed so real. Like yeah. the little games they would play. It felt like a little, documentary. Yeah. Like watching the kids throw squirt water at each other from their water bottles or, or playing truth or dare or just playing soccer or, you know, swimming or whatever. It just all felt really authentic and, and just the way they spoke and everything. But also just the, the way that the parents acted, they always, in a story like this, the parents could end up being the antagonists. Yeah, and yeah. they didn't, uh, Siyama, 
in her script or direction, never felt the need to make the parents be the antagonists. That ended up playing really nicely. I thought it worked well just just having the parents just be parental and and you know working on trying to figure out how they could make things work. Yeah, I mean, how easy was it for you to relate to the dad in this film? Like he was such an easy avatar for me uh, to to really connect with and to to watch him playing the games and building the relationship with both of his kids and and just having fun around the house. And I think that adds to structurally the conflict in the film, right? The conflict between Laura's inner world, the the world that exists in her house, where she's you know she has to to fake who she is in in you know one respect, and the outer world, who she is when she's with her new peers, uh, this sort of emergent group of friends where she has to fake who she is going the other direction. And that, I thought, was um, ended up making kind of a really powerful statement. The fact that Dad, I, I, I never really landed on whether he was being, you know, sort of paternally, willfully ignorant of what was going on. Like the dad in Pariah. Yeah, like that. Like there is there's a little bit of that parallel that I couldn't shake. Right. That mom in this in Tomboy, I I felt like she was dutifully like engaged in being pregnant and having another child. Right. Then bringing a third child into their family. Um, And I thought she was awesome and relatable. And uh, and I felt like her turn at the end when she learned that her child was faking, you know, was passing in uh the the with her friends i i thought i i at least i under i understood that like i understood her shock i sort of felt like dad was more in touch with jean and lure and that i i he had less of an excuse to not be aware of what was going on uh and and i was I wanted, as a dad, I felt like I wanted more dad. I read this this wonderful book a few months ago called This Is How It Always Is uh, by Lori Frankel, which it tells the story of, um, you know, of a young, uh, you know, biological uh, gendered boy uh, who is is going through just a very at a very young age going through a, the transition and the book is really the story of the parents and it was such a a powerful exploration of the things that this that this husband and wife and parents go through um and and I think I brought some of my bias and expectation from that book to this movie once I knew what it was about I I felt like I I unfairly judged the movie against a standard that was set by this book that I think told the story from the parents' perspective so well. So if there's anything about this movie that I felt like like was given short shrift, it was that, you know, I'm it, it, I got milk and I wanted root beer experience that I I felt like the parental experience was too short in this movie. I wanted more of that relationship and they're working with Laura to kind of guide and and foster that, you know, her her uh, exploration of fluidity and I didn't get it. And, um, and, and I missed it. I found myself missing it. It felt like a hole, a parent shaped hole. Well, but I don't think that that's the story. No, it's not. That's what I mean. You know, like, I think that's the, I think that's almost the sequel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like this story really is the discovery for, for, uh, lore to figure out who she is and and how she wants to be perceived in the world and at the end of this story her parents 
are, you know, the reveal happens to her parents and now they're in that next stage. And so, yeah, if this story continued, the second half of it, the second part of it would be about the parents now trying to figure out, you know, how do we make this work for our daughter? And so right, I think that's a right. whole other uh, yeah, element. yeah, it is. It, it, but I think it's it, it's um, you know it's a great testament to the film that I would love to see more story. Like you know, I I felt yeah. like I wasn't finished with the movie when the movie was finished with me, and I I think that's um, I think that's great. I think that's really great. And I have to shout out that final moment, right? Because the final moment, the discovery has happened. All the kids they've they've, they've chased now lure through the woods, and they've had this horrific climactic reveal experience in the woods it's it's lord of the flies and when when one of the little boys says you know we hear you're a girl we're going to check that 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 is a a dagger uh, of a line in in the experience of of lure and and their exploration of of their own fluidity and um and then you know lisa checks and and lore lets it happen and the and and so it is that heart sinking moment of this kid having such a thriving social experience for such a short time and having that ripped away that when we get to the final moment, just one, one element in there that I want to say before you talk about the final moment, also on top of them going through the process of checking, it's the fact that one kid says you kissed him. If it's a girl, that's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. Like very pointedly at Lisa and Lisa, you know, is it put, you know, she's she's, you know, put in a position where she has to agree or she's being called out and she's not ready for that either because she still also doesn't know what all this means. And she she responds. Yeah, that's disgusting. And that is another thing that right there for Laura, you know, puts her in a place where it just, you know, she's not sure what to, you know, that further hurting everything. Yeah. Well, and on that point, I I wonder about this structurally. Like part of the reason that I think it works for me is that I know exactly what I want as a member of the audience and the movie doesn't give that to me, right? What I want is for Lisa, who's the oldest and the biggest and the most mature of this entire group of hooligans, I want her to look at that little jerk and say shut it. It's not disgusting. And you're an ass. Right. I want her to do that. And the movie doesn't give it to me, which adds to this uh, this layer of complexity of her experience, Lisa's experience, trying to figure out what all this means, trying to figure out, you know, what her own feelings are. Right. Like her own experience, having gone through this and this experience of being judged by her entire world. Right. This sort of summertime world of peers who've been hanging out together every day. Uh, and And so that has given her another layer of sort of pain and exploration. And I think that works. But it is it is the whole piece of uh, of being promised one thing or being of expecting one thing and being given something else, like the opposite of that thing, not something that's completely out of context. That doesn't work. But they gave me what I didn't want. And that led to... Um, uh, uh, an even bigger expectation for this final moment. Does that make any sense at all? Am I rambling? No, I think it makes some sense. So when we get to this final moment, right, because I've already been let down by Lisa, Lisa and Lure are in the woods together, and Lisa 
they're having a kind of a silent moment. And well, this is right outside the house, right? Is it? Yeah, right outside the house. Are they, I, I don't know. There were trees. In well, because she background. sees, she sees her. Oh, Laura yeah, yeah. Because Laura, Laura doesn't want to leave the house. She's, right. she's, you know, the, this is a while later because mom now has the new baby and Laura's just on the porch and she sees that Lisa is hanging out in the, like the, the courtyard or whatever by the trees. Yeah. Uh, kind of almost waiting for her. And so she goes down to talk to her. Yes. And so they're hanging out by the big tree in the courtyard. And Lisa, you know, says, you know, essentially introduces herself, you know, what's what's your name? And uh, Lord tells her her given name for the first time. And you have that that slight smile on their faces. And it feels like, you know, it does feel like a rebirth, like a, a reinvention. And uh, that that the that Siama is giving us an opportunity to see these kids meet each other again for the first time. And I was so grateful for that and so relieved that that's what I got, because I feel like their relationship could, you know, help spark something new at school. My headcanon is when these kids all go back to school, things are going to be better because of the honesty. And I hope I hope that's the case. And that makes me not want to actually see the sequel because kids can be really <laughs> terrible, too. Uh, but can. But that's, you know, that it ends on a note of hope and still a sense of question about what we just saw, right? I mean, is this an exploration of a young person's, um, you know, trying to uh, explore, you know, sexual attraction, right? Is 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 her, that the fluidity we're exploring or is it the fluidity of, of gender exploration that they really would rather be permanently seen as and present as a more masculine figure or is she just attracted to girls or is Lisa attracted to to her or what is that even like and in the end just those two little smiles of them sort of exploring their own identity honestly for the first time it's kind of enough the movie ends up being a lenticular postcard of relationships that it just it satisfies me in just the right way yeah it's it's about you know the the evolution of the human over the course of a lifetime, because there's it's there's so many steps along the way and so many things that you're trying and, and experimenting with. And and, you know, Siama herself said, I made it with several layers so that a transsexual person can say that was my childhood. And so that that a heterosexual woman can also say it. Uh, she also said that the movie's ambiguous about uh, Mikhail's feelings for Lisa. It plays with the confusion. Which I think is, I mean, speaking exactly to your point, like it, I mean, it could just be a friendship. And now there's this new level between the two of them of just kind of an understanding of who each of them are. And now they're going to be best friends, you know, and, and I don't think we need to know. I think what I enjoy so much about the way that the story resolves is that we get this moment of it really what it is, it's acceptance and it's, it's, it's things are okay let's move on and and it doesn't need to be a thing and that's what i found so powerful about the way that the story ended it just i mean it was it was so heartwarming to have it end this way and sure it'd be great to see all of the kids kind of having their own little i am spartacus moment uh, all standing up and and being friends with with lore at the end but it's for me it just like just the fact that it's lisa and that's where we are right now i think that's a great starting place yeah, I agree. Do you, I mean, what's your sense of this movie's 
sort of dramatic intensity. Like, did you feel the same sort of intensity that I experienced? Because, uh, you know, as I look at some of the reviews that, you know, that's it's pretty divergent. Many people believe this is quite a good movie. And those that don't feel like it's a snooze, like they never quite get over the slice of, of life experience that is that doesn't actually give us any anything to be entertained by. I suppose I can see where people would feel that, you know, it's they're so young. I mean, these the kids are kind of 10. Well, at least we know Laura is 10. Uh, her little sister is, I don't know, six, I think. Um, and so but the the other kids hanging out in the area are probably in that. I think the little the other little girl was five and a half. And, and Lisa, you know, she's in the same grade. So 10, 11, somewhere in there. I I I think that there is a level of too much of that slice of life where it's just like it's just kids hanging out for you know <laughs> so much of the film that it it can it can feel a little slow to some people but um I don't know I guess I guess for me I really connected with just the way that we had these moments and all those little moments throughout the film like I just I really latched onto and I felt very powerful and I I just you know watching the quiet face of lore as uh as both her and michael trying to just kind of figure out like where she fit in i just i found that to be quite powerful and and constantly and i was very worried constantly like when they were wrestling on the on the pier on the floaty thing like i was like god. oh my god the little clay penis is going to fall out yeah. <laughs> like some, yeah. something is going to happen something's going to happen like yeah. I, I felt that probably from that point on i'm like something is going to happen and somehow people are going to accidentally find out like when they were fighting i'm like oh god is someone going to pull our pants down yeah like i i just didn't know where it was going to go and it just it kept making me nervous it made me so nervous and those are the things that i felt like were really the the horror movie moments right to me, like this is that makes this movie super easy to extrapolate, right? That that it is both the story that happens with this one summer that it, that sort of exists and then it's gone, like summers are, uh, and it also uh, allows me to sort of explore it as a larger metaphor to experiences that are knit together in the life of someone who's going through this sort of exploration themselves, and. I think to the extent that you buy into that might largely be the extent to which you give credibility to these young performers, right? This isn't, this doesn't necessarily have to be a movie about children. It could be a movie about, you know, humans through this lens that might allow us to see something about ourselves and how we treat others who are exploring the exact same fluidity uh, in our own groups, social groups, right? Because we're all out there together. Like there are people who are exploring this likely in your social group. And, you know, are you going to be chasing them through the woods metaphorically? Are you going to be checking gender metaphorically? Like how uh, that that to me is, I think, one of the things that makes this movie interesting, because I I am somebody who really latched on to this being both a movie about kids and a movie about the exploration of the experience. Yeah, and it's clearly something that Siyama explores quite a bit as uh, yeah, as an out lesbian who has kind of been telling these sorts of stories throughout her career, starting with her debut in 2007 with Water Lilies. Then there's this film and, uh, you know, most recently Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which, I mean, you know, won her incredible accolades. 
it's definitely uh, something that she's exploring of this idea of uh, who you are and your sexuality and the the challenges of of kind of figuring that out in a world that in times and places it's not acceptable or you know people look at differently and so i think that's what makes it powerful is just the way that she gravitates in this particular story i think water lilies i haven't seen it but if memory serves yeah the girls are 15 so a little older than than the girls here and but but still it's like you're going to have these feelings your whole life, you know? And, and I think that's what I find interesting about this is we're looking at it at such a young age. And that's why for me, it, it ends up working. I mean, my sister was a tomboy when, when we were kids and she always preferred kind of the boy stuff instead of the girl stuff. And she would still kind of go along with it and wear the girl stuff and all that. But, uh, you know, she very much lived that tomboy life all the way through uh, through high school and college and and then came out. And, you know, I, I don't think every tomboy is necessarily going to come out, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, especially nowadays when we're realizing kind of this world of gender fluidity and, and identity and stuff. It's like people are people and they're going to be they're going to do what they want. And and, you know, because I, I think some people just struggled with the idea that, you know, there, there's more power to this story if they're older, but I'm like, I, I don't think so. I feel like for me, like this, it felt very much like the sort of world that we would have with kids. So it worked very well for me. Yeah, I think it did for me too. And, and, um, I, I, I think it is allowed to permeate the, a, a little bit easier because it's kid, it kids, it's the, you know, the spoonful of sugar, that that allows you to explore hard truths and and change uh, in, in a way that makes it a little bit more sweet, because I'm telling you that sibling relationship is amazing. Like that was they were fantastic. And as an only kid, uh, I, that was the aspirational sibling relationship for me. Like that is an absolute fantasy of my youth is having a younger sibling who was like that close to me. You could still beat up when you needed to. Right, right. Occasionally, you have to push them up against the wall and and you know give them, put them in a chokehold yeah, and the different threats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what it's are all you? About. What is the difference between you and your sister? Uh, Eighteen months. We're not quite. Uh, You're not quite that far. We're not quite that the distance that these two kids had. She beat you up all the time, right? She did. <laughs> 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 yep. <laughs> so Zoe. Zoe Aran, Aran, Zoe Aran, Aran, Zoe Aran, uh, plays uh, Lore or and Michael, and had to cut her hair when she got this role, and I, I don't think it was something that she necessarily um, was a fan of doing, but it obviously worked for the film. You look at a picture of her. I would assume shortly after this, long hair and uh, very, very kind of much that that look has gone on to kind of continue acting, directing, because this was one of those performances that where I wondered, this is either an amazing child performance and has gone on to do great things, or it was one of those amazing child performances who then just like got out of the business, like did that one and done sort of thing, um, because that seems to happen periodically. But she has uh, been acting pretty much since um, 2006. She was in a TV movie, so even younger than here. 
and is still like she was in a TV show in uh, in France, Mortel. Yeah, uh, some other Max, movies. Uh, uh, Florence Hughes, uh, Florence Hugues, who, oh, uh, which is another uh, one from 2019. A short um, film, yeah. yeah, short film. But it's it is really interesting to see uh, Zoe with uh, with you know long hair, ponytail, and and how amazing hair uh, is at you know masculinizing and feminizing someone. Like it's you just swap hair and <laughs> you can, you'd never know. No, it, it it was really interesting, and I mean, I'm exactly. constantly amazed at how stupid humans are at being tricked by appearances. <laughs> like we're really stupid creatures when it comes to that. <laughs> That's us. That yep. is people. Yeah. She was actually cast, or she was found the first day of casting, which is <laughs> you never hear when you're hearing these stories about kids getting cast. It's always like, oh, we looked at thousands of kids, you know, all across the country. And this is like they found her the very first day they cast her. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's just yeah. amazing. The other thing, and this is, I, I think, interesting and is especially important when you're filming a scene with a child who does end up having to be naked in the film. This is what the little note says. The scene so delicate of the nakedness of lore and the revelation resulting from it has been, had been conscientiously put in place by Celine Siama. This scene is fundamental, and Zoe Iran from the script knew she would have to shoot naked. Her parents were present at the time of filming, and this intense moment could only exist in the image if they gave their agreement in view of the filmed sequence. So, um, but I mean, yeah, that's that's a, a scary thing. Like as a parent, I wouldn't want my own child put into a film knowing that they would have to be naked it's just like you know that's kind of the horror story that sort of situation and so that's a big ask and um but it did make it for it made for a powerful revelation well and to look at how good zoe is at at just her craft at this age being able to pull off the kind of 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 comfort and awkwardness that go hand in hand when she goes, she, he, then, as Mikael goes skins during their yeah. football game, right? right? Right, That she spends a lot of time, you know, for lack of a better word, topless in this movie. And it's because at the time they were underdeveloped that they could get away with it. Uh, but that doesn't make it any less awkward as the actor going in and and having to perform this transformation right and she she he moves like a boy like on the field runs you know is is physical in all the ways that lisa isn't right that that lisa is feminine even as i would still classify lisa as a tomboy in this movie speaking of you know fluid use of terms um and still was an embraced sort sort of femininity in that character, and I think I, I just can't, man, I just can't talk about Zoe um, any less glowingly than that. She she was fantastic in this movie. I mean, one of my very favorite child performances I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, just yeah. that good and hard. Very strong. Very strong. Other interesting cast note, uh, Matthew Demi, who plays her father, is the uh, the son of directors Agnes Varda and Jacques Demi. Hey! I had no idea. But we I know them. I, Fantastic. Yeah. And the mom is Sophie Catani, a very popular French actress. And again, I just really enjoyed the parents. 
Uh, Jean is um, uh, played by Melon Levana, and uh, she has also, she was the young sister. This was her first uh, major film. She's gone on to uh, do a number of uh, shorts and TV movies and uh, is... Films, uh, yeah, a lot of films. films. A lot of films. Uh, born in 2004, uh, so cruising up on, on uh, you know, 20, um, uh, 18, and is just, it was such a treat of a performer. I, it actually, I'm, I'm excited to watch some other uh, films with her because, and, and like you said for Zoe, like, it's neat to see that she's got a career out of it that, that looks super promising. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Did the look uh, do anything for you? Um, I The one thing that stood out to me was just the stillness of a lot of the shots, particularly that were almost, they felt like designed almost to be portraits. Like you would have a moment where like when uh, Laura was sitting on a chair posing for a portrait for her little sister, just with that kind of floral wallpaper behind, but it just seemed like she's just staring into the camera. And we had a couple of moments like that later when she's in her dress and the boy she beat up is standing next to her and the two of them are just standing there, but the walls behind them, like a lot of these things that just felt very much designed to be almost like portraits. Well, and there are a number of, there there are a couple of sequences where she's hiding and uh, is hiding behind a wall, and there's like a hallway behind. There's some relief to uh, to the door of the apartment. She's like waiting for Lise to come in. She's waiting. I mean, like those kinds of of moments. I think they. I think Siama uses walls really effectively at putting some barrier between our protagonist and you know whatever they're afraid of right whatever the next confrontation is which i thought was very powerful um i i do love the look of it it's also another one of those movies there's a lot of compression even when the kids are out playing running swimming the camera is often very tight on the experience like when they're wrestling on the buoy uh she's like we get a lot of torso head kind of wrestling not a lot of big establishing shots to show us where the lake is uh which is good because I have such lake anxiety that generally I'm thinking about <laughs> Creepshow 2 whenever they're on those and the big oh, lake sure. weed thing. Uh, and so I was glad the kids were protected from that. But I really liked it because it made the reveal, like the gender reveal in the bath, that much more sort of impactful, that this is a shot we're pulling out from now and we're going to see, you know, we're going to see a lot. And uh, it's going to change the way you look at the next shot, right? What you see here is going to change the way you think about the movie. And I thought that that made, like, use of camera, I thought, uh, was... Um, was strong. What a genre mashup that would have been, though. Yes. Like if we thought we were watching a story about a young girl and her gender fluidity at the age of 10, uh-huh. only to find and out then that all the of her really friends about an oil slick monster un- were in the lake. By the lake. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pivot. Yeah. Very much. Uh, well, we will be right back. But first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM Engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Kyle Preston, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. How to do it award season. 
uh, you know, pretty good for itself. Ten wins, six other nominations at the Berlin International Film Festival. It won the Teddy Jury Award, or Celine Siama did specifically. At the GLAAD Media Awards, it was nominated for Outstanding Film in a Limited Release, uh, but it lost to Pariah, interestingly. I, oh. I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, right. Uh, Zoe was nominated at the Lumiere Awards in France for Most Promising Young Actress, but actually did not win. I, you know, this is a weird thing. It was a three-way tie, I guess, between Adele Anel from House of Tolerance, Alice Barnol from House of Tolerance, and Celine Salette from House of Tolerance. Zoe and Anna Maria Vartolome in My Little Princess were the only two who weren't, uh, didn't get anything. So I don't know what it was about House of Tolerance and the performances there, but the three women nominated there all tied. Uh, so I have no idea <laughs> what that one was all about. At the uh, Torino International Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, it won Best Feature Film. And at the Young Artist Awards, Zoe was nominated for Best Performance in an International Feature Film for a Leading Young Performer, but lost to another tie. The year Dolly Parton was my mom, uh, Julia Sarah Stone, and Thrill of the Hills by Antoine Olivier Pilon. Um, Both of them tied for that. So, yeah, I mean... It did well, but uh, yeah, I, I'd love to, I don't know, I'd love to have seen a little more love thrown at Zoe. Yeah, truly. How about uh, love in the form of the green baby? Did it do anything at the box office? Siyama had about 931,000 euros or 1.2 million US dollars, which is about 1.4 million in today's dollars. From what I can tell, the movie premiered at the Berlin International Film Festival February 11th, 2011, then opened in France April 20th, 2011. It had a limited U.S. release starting just in New York City November 16th, 2011, opposite Immortals and Jack and Jill. It eventually expanded to 10 screens, but was a very small release that didn't attract much attention. It ended up earning only 129000 domestically and $1.3 million internationally, for a total of $1.6 million in today's dollars. And that does put the film at an adjusted profit per finished minute of $2,800. Well, hey, it's at a profit. It's a profit, Andy. It's at a profit. Yeah. And obviously, Siyama has used her uh, her skills as a director telling these stories to kind of continue. And I mean, with this incredible success of Portrait of Lady on Fire, I just feel like she's just going to continue to be a voice telling important stories um, about, uh, you know, identity and... Um, and romance. Uh, I think so too. And I, it, this is just a treat to go back and, and see sort of some foundational work for some of these stories that, that she is telling. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we got to watch it. I really enjoyed it. We're going to come back and rate it. Uh, but first, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we need to talk about Kevin, Pete. Lynn Ramsey's <laughs> film from 2011, Tilda Swinton, John C. Riley, and Ezra Miller. Every day, it's a getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will sweep up my way. You just have to rock him a little bit. Did you say mommy? No. Shouldn't he be talking by now? I wouldn't worry about it. Ball? No! He's just a boy. Just a sweet little boy. 
Just because you're used to something doesn't mean you like it. You're used to me. Great shot, Kevin. You're a natural. First he cries too much, then he's too quiet. And you see it as some kind of personal vendetta? You think I'm exaggerating? Listen, buddy, it's easy to misunderstand when you hear it out of context. Why would I not know the context? Andy, let's go to Letterboxd. All right. Letterboxd, Letterboxd, Letterboxd. Where are we going to land on the star ratings for this film? Yeah. Where did the stars fall for you? I have a hard time like pulling that apart. And if I give it a deduction, the deduction is probably going to come around the story of the parents being thin for me. And that might not be fair, but it just might be what it is. For me, I, I just think that, I mean, I, I really was impressed with the story. I, I, it's not a five star. And I think a lot of it is just because it's not, I mean, it's, it's a powerful story, but it's not the sort of story I'm going to return to very often. You know, like I enjoyed it, it, but it also feels like a one and done. Um, so, but I'm fine giving it four stars. Like I think it's a strong four star film. I easily can see it. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem rewatching it. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a powerful story. I'm glad I experienced it. Um, and I think I'm good with four stars. Big old heart. It, definitely a heart. Definitely a heart. I do want to call out the tagline, tomboy, there's a new kid in town. I hate that so much. I think that has to be something that some American production yes. company put on it because that's it just has to be one of the worst things ever. It is the worst. It is really, really terrible for this movie um, because you sort of expect that per- this to be Rambo, right? And Tomboy <laughs> is young Rambo and uh, is going to go about, you know, killing other children. That's not what this movie's about. Wow. Um, dark. I did. I went probably too dark too fast. Okay. I think I'm probably four stars too, um, for all the same reasons, plus the parental uh, thinness in the story. I think I'll land on four stars, and I think I will be happy with that and a big, fat, beating heart. Big, fat, beating heart. Anatomically correct. Mm-hmm. Always include those anatomically correct hearts when we can. <laughs> yeah, we do. All right. Well, it's it's a great film. I mean, it's a really strong touching story about uh, gender identity and the struggles at, at this particular point in life of figuring out, you know, what that means. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the performances. It really was, um, in the end, it ended up being a very heartwarming film. And I'm definitely glad that I watched it. And in context of this particular series, it's nice when we come across these films that still feel relevant today, if not more relevant to today. So I, I just, I felt like this was um, just one of those films that definitely holds up as being something worth talking about still. 
I think so, too. I, I have zero hesitation recommending this movie. I think it is a really a, a wonderful film. I'm with you. I'm probably not going to be rewatching it a whole bunch, uh, but I'm I'm pretty excited about the fact that it exists and uh, it, it tells a good story. I am really curious what others think about it. Please jump over into the Show Talk channel in our Discord server, and uh, we're going to be talking about this movie. In fact, we're already talking about this movie, uh, but you can find us over in the Show Talk channel uh, or in the Two Reeler chat is where the live stream uh, lives. Uh, so if you are a, a member up there, uh, find find the chat and come let us know what you thought about it. We want to know what you thought. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Brian had Brian had a lot of little comments to say. I know, I love I it. See. I love it, and and uh, the <laughs> the confirmation of Siyama. Siyama, yes, thank you uh, for confirming that. After watching so many noirs and horror movies lately, I kind of struggled with figuring out how to rate this. It does what is advertised on the box well, and the ki- kids are good and believable, which is often a problem for these movies. But I don't know if it's really that much better than other similar ones. Moonlight, for instance, I found had way more meat on its bones, also an episodic structure to give more of an arc. Also, I think this movie was just as relevant then as it is now. Moonlight, I still think, I mean, that's for me... Of all of these that we've been watching, like that's the straight up five star movie. That just that movie <clears throat> is just so I know perfect. I know I can't. I sort of can't believe we haven't uh, we we haven't found an excuse to talk about Moonlight on the show. Um, we need to figure that out because movies that have moons in the title, moon movies. <laughs> Can we do that right. as a series? Moonies. Yeah, <laughs> I I feel like it is. Uh, I, it is again. It's a perfect movie. Nothing that we've watched has exceeded that, that that experience because it's not just a story that is incredibly powerful, but it is exceptional filmmaking. Like it is the whole package. It's just great structure, great writing. I mean, I, it's just fantastic. And so, uh, I I struggle with that too. But it, it's this was still a, this was still just a really terrific experience. Yeah, uh, but yeah, to the, to your question, Brian. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's a rewatcher. I think it's it is very much kind of one of those one and done sorts of movies. But I'm still glad that I saw it. Very very glad because I think it's just a very touching film. There isn't an evolution and a resolution. If these questions continue through Laura's life, it's not likely to be smooth. And I think that's that's what mom I, I was focused on. Right? Is that is exactly that that she was mom is trying to protect Laura from what is about to happen to her, because biologically it is inescapable, right? She's going to grow breasts. She's going to look more like a, uh, uh, likely look more and more like a, a stereo, the stereotypes of a a woman. Like it's going to be harder and harder for her to hide the fact just because her body is going to change. And I think that's what mom was trying to hide or protect her from that. She was being super short-sighted as children are, and not thinking, you know, very clearly about what happens next. So, and that's kids. I mean, that is kids to a T. <laughs> like they don't, yeah. they don't, they don't have any picture of a future. Like their world is the is the yeah. now. And as right. they get older, that gets a little bigger and bigger. But yeah. especially at this age, it's very much like this is all I'm focused on right now. And so yeah. I, I right. totally bought into those decisions. And mom, like, and that's where I was like terrified what mom's decision was to do with her. Uh, but also it's like, as mom said, it's like, do you have another solution? Because I don't see anything else. Like we have to tell people. 
Right. And that's, Brian, I don't know. A mom's protection really an enforcement of social conserv- conservatism that she has? Maybe. But my hunch is that mom was panicked, right? And that she didn't know what to do because obviously she hasn't confronted this before. She hasn't been able to do this. She was just thinking about if we can get all of this out in the open, then you can make choices. That's my headcanon that mom was thinking, let's just do blunt force instrument right here. Let's just like cut ties. There's no nuance. You're going to be it's it's going to be open and true who you are. And then we can, you, you know, you can make decisions about who you want to present as as long as it's as long as it's clear. And that is part of the problem, right? That is part of the problem that mom shouldn't decide how any how one of her children wants to present to the world. If the kid wants to pass, the kids should be able to pass. And it shouldn't have to be, you know, it, it that should be as authentic as as any other statement of identity. Um, And so I think that's the conflict. And that's what makes it really interesting as a parent to watch mom who says openly, I don't I don't care if you want to to. Well, and I think her language here is is tricky. I don't care if you want to play the boy, because that's not really what Laura is doing. And what we have learned now since then is much more robust. Right. We, We know a lot more about, you know, about having these conversations. and. I think 10 years ago, mom didn't get it and mom panicked. And maybe that's a function of her social conservatism. I think the kids these days might be a lot more that way. But I think a lot of parents are going to still be much more socially conservative. Yeah. Even now, yeah. like especially because, I mean, it's it's it still is is very much a thing. And as parents, you're always wanting to kind of be that protector of your kid. And knowing that your kid is potentially put into a situation that they're potentially going to be more threatened i mean then yeah yeah, that's it's hard for parents to willingly kind of put your kid into that sort of situation so it's it's tricky really tricky well and because you have you have expectations of your kids you can't hide that like i i have i had expectations when my kids were born of you know what their lives would be like and you know it doesn't take very long for you to realize that as a parent you have very little control of that um and and i think so that's what makes the mom's story complicated and and satisfying because it felt it felt authentic to me right it felt it felt real so all right uh letterboxd giveth andy as letterboxd always do it yeah people uh, this is this is the lens the letterbox reviews are the lens through which you see this movie, right? Like, yes, there's there are people. It, it is a parade of baggage, <laughs> possibly our own as well. Um, in this movie, I've got a four and a half star from Laura. Uh, if you don't mind, I don't. Uh, Laura says. <laughs> Laura says, "Thank God for the hot dad and the little sister Jean, who make up for how crappy uh, Michael's mother is." This honestly might be my favorite Siyama film, but it breaks me more than anything. She builds so much outside of dialogue and sound. The whole story unfolds in that space in the subtle way Mikkel observes others so they can pick up on movements and gestures and make adjustments to their appearances to or to their appearance just to allow someone to see them the way they feel, hoping a reflection in the mirror matches what exists internally. Ugh. So uh yeah, that's good stuff. Powerful. Four and a half yeah. stars from Laura. Well, I've got a five-star review. There are a lot of five-star reviews. I mean, it's it's um, the film itself overall on Letterboxd is at a a three point nine. Yeah, 
So, you know, it's pretty solid uh, number of ratings there based on over 30,000 ratings. So a lot of people have seen this. A lot of people really like it. Uh, but I went with uh, Sarah's. Uh, Sarah gave it five stars and had this to say. That's not CGI. Celine Siama just has superpowers. What would be CGI? An amazing film. You don't I just need... mean like maybe, oh, I see. She didn't need CGI for this movie. Right. It's just. But it's now just... all I can think of, Andy, is what could we do with Tomboy if we employed CGI? <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. And you know what? Not enough time travel in this movie. Should have been more timey wimey <laughs> shenanigans. More time travel, more uh, oil slick blobs yep. on the lake. Uh, hands yeah. down. This was an oil slick blob movie <laughs> waiting to be made. Thanks, Letterboxd. Like, I, I just didn't know where it was going to go. And it just it kept making me nervous. It made me so nervous. And those are the things that I felt like were really the, the horror movie moments, right? It's like, that's the equivalent of Michael in the closet behind Jamie Lee Curtis, right? At some point, the penis will peek out. And uh, and and I was really... Maybe that's what's on our shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> I gotta take a beat. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, it's wrong in so many ways. Really, Ooh. really wrong. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>